You're listening to Draft Chat. Episode 4. Hello, welcome to Draft Shaft, episode number four, right? This is four. Man, I've yeah, already, yeah, I've already I lost so. count. <laughs> episode four. Uh, I'm one of your hosts, Zach. I have with me here, as always, Ben. That's me. Actually, hold on. Um, can we can we push this back like 20 minutes? There's a new LSV Vintage Q video and, you know, priorities. <laughs> Yeah, but are you actually <laughs> going to be drafting Vintage Cube? Ah, look, I might. While M21 is a pretty great format, I might mix it up here and there and <laughs> get some Vintage in. Oh, man. We'll see. So we'll many see. people are going to just turn us off because you just compared <laughs> M21 to Vintage Cube. Look, they're pretty much the same. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I hope I mean, LSV Vod- doesn't Vodalian, listen to this. Vodalian Arcanist. Kind of like a Mox, if you think about it. Oh, wow, that's a hot take and a half. Anyway. um, Anyway. Okay, after that hot garbage, um, (laughs) just a couple of quick plugs here before we really jump into this episode. Um, As we mentioned last episode, we did start a Patreon, so you can check us out there at patreon.com slash draftchaffpod. If that's your thing, um, obviously the show is always going to be free, but, um, you know, if you're interested in... Uh, giving back in any way uh, that's a great place to do it we also have a discord which uh, you can find on our twitter at draft chaffbot as well um, we just kind of want to keep conversations going and uh, get to know some of our listeners a bit something i want to mention about the uh, the patreon if so this is going to help us cover our like monthly fee just for hosting the podcast and all these different stuff so we're not we're not out here trying to get rich off of our, our kind listeners. We we just want to, you know, have this at least be self sustaining, which would be honestly, if we can get that, that's the dream. And that and we also Ben and I talked a little bit last week about, um, you know, getting together certain giveaways and and things of that nature. So any of the proceeds that come from that would also benefit those sorts of things as well. Yeah, of course. But enough shilling. Um, <laughs> Ben, I've got a, a what's the pick here for us. Ooh, this is actually a pack, right. a pack one, pick one. Okay, let's hear it. Um, uh, I'm so, excited. Yeah, so I'll I'll run through the comments first. We'll hit the uncommons and then our rare. Okay, sure. so first first common, Pitchburn Devils. Yeah. You have, eh, it's a serviceable card, right? Uh, you're not upset. Yeah, you'll play it. Not upset to play it, but kind of upset to first pick it. We've got Hunter's Edge, probably the, well, the, the best green removal, but not is maybe in the top three green and uh, green commons um next up we have pride malkin we have cancel lofty denial sky scanner mistral singer anointed chorister track down mm. and spell gorger weird so that's yeah. it that's it for the commons this is uh nothing is super exciting no great removal spells i'm probably on the weird or the uh, uh i'd probably just take the weird here I, yeah, I, think, weird. I think I'm with you. I at this point I'm I'm on I have green white as the best deck in the format, so I might just hedge and take the hunter's mm. edge. Um because that's the best removal spell in that deck, usually. Uh, unless you can happen to pick up a Faith Fetters, but um Spell Gorger Weed is fantastic as well. Blue Red is also one of the best decks in the format, so Yeah. Let's move sure. on to the uncommons. Yeah, we we can hope to do better than a weird. Yeah, so we have our first uncommon is Twin Blade Assassins. That's the black green um, signpost uncommon. Mm, yeah, so nice, solid card. Does put you in two colors right off the bat, so I'm not sure I'm happy to first pick it, but it's a solid. It's, it's solid pretty card. close to the weird. Yeah, I agree. Uh, next up, we have Epitaph Golem. That's the the three five artifact. Um, have not had the displeasure of playing one of these yet. Yeah, five mana three five isn't something you really want to play, and the activated ability isn't relevant. Oh no! It, well, it helps you against mill. <laughs> okay, I guess <laughs> kind of does it. Anyway. Technically, or, it does. Uh, okay. I guess if uh, okay, so you could hear me out. 
No, I can't. I, I, I was just, trying to think yeah, of a corner like, case oh, involving so the animator ready for the garbage. and like some kind of. No, no, I got nothing. <laughs> yeah, probably just passing that and picking it up like fifteenth pick or whatever. Um, next up, our last uncommon is Furious Rise. I know you're pretty high on this card. I like Furious Rise a lot. Uh, it's not as good as Galax Uprising because it doesn't actually draw you a card, which Green cares a lot about. But this is still card advantage in a red deck. You know, you, you'll take this and you'll play when you can. Yep. However, we're not taking this because we have not just a rare, but a mythic rare. Oh man, which is it? Is it one of the big ones? Oh, he, oh, it's big. Three black, black, black for a 6-5 worm creature at Mythic Rare. We opened Massacre Worm. You know, it's good for these what's the picks uh, to not always present too much of a challenge. We want to be representative (laughs) of the actual draft experience. And every once in a while, I guess your what's the pick will just be (laughs) a Massacre Worm. Yeah, there's kind of no question here. You just slam the worm and move on with your life. Mm-hmm. And actually, I think Worm is at its best in this format, given the number of X1s and X2s running around. Uh, the things you can do with this are just stupid. Yeah, and um, you know we've we've talked a few times on this cast about how this is a, a, a you know an attacker's format. You really want to be swinging in. This mm-hmm. does that. It's aggressively statted, but it also just clears the board. <laughs> yeah, this is a board wipe. Attached a one-sided to, board like, wipe too. Two, two bolts attached to yeah. Th- this can plague when your opponent, and then also just kill them on the spot. It's amazing. Yeah. Always take this card with can early. Well, there you have it. All right, let's get into our uh, our Teferis and Tybalt's of this week. I've got some some decent ones. I got to uh, play a little bit of paper for once. Oh wow! No way. Yeah, so uh, I had some pre-release kits laying around. Uh, I drove up to see a friend of mine. We actually used to be roommates, so. Uh, I got him into the game a little while ago, wanted to get this going, and you know, we figured that since we'd already been you know, seeing each other extensively since this whole you know, pandemic thing started, it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world if we sat outside and played some M21 sealed. So uh, I wound up with a pretty sweet deck. I wound up in, in green-white. I had a Scooze. Uh, I had double Gaggle Master. The, the goose was loose, as I like to say. <laughs> um, that's definitely my, my Teferi for this week. I just had a, a sweet green-white deck. Uh, my promo was, um, uh, what's it called? Voice of All? What's the, the Sanctum? Sanctum, <laughs> Sanctum of All, yeah. Sanctum of All, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, so nothing, nothing too fancy there. But my Tybalt, which is also kind of a Teferi. Uh, we actually spent a little bit of time playing my favorite format of all time, Pack Wars. So for those that are listening that don't know, Pack Wars, you take a pack of cards, you take three of each basic, you remove the token and the land, and then you shuffle it all together. And that's your deck. Uh, you can, you know, modify this however you want. I like to start with five card hand, and then uh, no such thing as milling out, which can lead to some interesting situations. But uh, in this case, it, it was pretty fun. I lost in game one to my friend because I drew lands of every color, except planes. And I ended up having a full art Basri Ket in hand, which was by far my, my sweetest open. I saw it on my opening hand, I was like, all right, I'm keeping this no matter what. I got, I got time. Never drew the planes, showed my friend at the end, and he was like, oh man, well, I guess you would have won if you'd gotten that down. But, you know, can't have it all. Magic no complaints in a nutshell. <laughs> yeah, I still I got the open. if I played so. my card. Uh, yeah, who am I to complain? It's a nonsense format for nonsense people, which is, you know, us. So <laughs> that, that, Honestly, that could be the title of your memoir. <laughs> it really could, yeah. How about you? Uh, yeah, I, you know, I don't have a whole lot to, to put here to the, uh, this week. Honestly, my Teferi was that I just got to chill out during a long weekend from work and had mm. a ton of amazing barbecue food, and I'm still coming Oof. off of my third food coma from the weekend. <laughs> um Jealous. yeah it was just it was it was a good time of relaxation and um was able to get outside and see some friends as well so that Sweet. was also great my tybalt is that i couldn't think of a tybalt my week was pretty <laughs> apart from like the weekend being awesome the week was pretty meh so there's just nothing nothing exceptionally bad that stood out that i needed to talk about so there you have it man what what a what a low note 
Yeah, right. Well, uh, on not a low note, hopefully, um, we're going to kind of do something interesting this week, a different sort of show format that we're going to try out. Hopefully um, it's enjoyed and, and the listeners like it and we're able to keep doing stuff like this. So Ben, why don't you give us kind of a breakdown of what this show is all about? To be the draft chaff hero. Dun, dun. You know the song, right? I don't actually. No, I, <laughs> I, hero? I don't think so. Okay, well, <laughs> well, this is like that. This is draft chaff hero. So uh, every once in a while, there'll be a card that usually would be considered chaff, you know, and we're actually planning on getting into this in a different episode about what actually is draft chaff. But, you know, every once in a while, you'll see a bunch of cards laying around that no one wanted. They left them after the draft. Uh, it, it's pretty clear that no one's interested in these for constructed. They're useless. They're worth like two cents each. But every once in a while, one of these cards ends up being a limited all-star, something that you would pack one, pick one, something that's worth actually caring about. And we have one of those in this set, and I'm very excited to talk about it because it's been a pretty you know, controversial issue this far as to when you should be taking this, uh, how you should play it, how to play around it. Today we are talking about Seasoned Hollow Blade. So this card is one of the white for a human warrior. It's a 3-1. You can discard a card, tap it, it gains indestructible until end of turn. This card is an absolute all-star in this format. Have you played with this at all? I don't think I've had the fortune of playing it. I have drafted it once, but I never got to actually cast the card. Okay, well, uh, it's it's still mildly early in the format. As we all still get you know more and more drafts in, you'll start to see this thing show up a lot. It isn't uncommon, so it's not common. You're not going to see it in every game. But this thing is very, very strong. And we're going to talk about why this is such a powerhouse in this format and why the format kind of warps around it when it's on the battlefield. So, Oh, also, real quick aside, uh, it's worth mentioning, if you aren't super familiar with the card, um, as Ben mentioned, it's discard a card, tap it, gain in, it gains indestructible until end of turn. The tap part of this is not a cost. That's, that's, an, mm. that's part of the effect side of things. So if it's already tapped, you can, it still gets indestructible. It's not something that um, you need to actually tap the card in order to get the indestructible out of. Yeah, very, very important for when it's attacking. So this, uh, for example, can attack and then you can, you know, discard a card without having to... It, it, it works. It works the way you want it to say, I guess. So our goal here is to convince you, the listener, that this is something that's, you know, worth playing. It might look like trash, but trust us. After this, we hope that you'll see it our way. So... The first comparison I'd like to make is to a card that we all got kind of sick of in uh, Theros. A little something called Dream Trawler. You remember that thing? Oh yeah, my first my first uh, sealed with Theros was on my birthday with you into Hit a Giant where I opened a Kiora Besa Sea God and a Dream Trawler and we just jammed <laughs> the best blue-white deck I've ever played. I remember that, yeah, that was great. Yep. So this, uh, I like to not compare it to Dream Trawler on power level. It's clearly not Dream Trawler. But in the play pattern that surrounds it, I think it's actually very similar. So Dream Trawler has a very similar effect where you can discard a card, it taps the Dream Trawler, and it gets hexproof until end of turn. So this works in a very similar way where opponents, they have to kind of measure their resources. They have to look at this card look at their hand, look at their board, and say, all right, how is this going to line up? Another card that might remind you of this is a Danto Vanguard for those that played in, uh, in Ixalan or you know, have played Standard recently. A very similar card. It's a 3-1 while attacking. Uh, it's a vampire, and you can pay 4 life to give it indestructible. This, I think, is a lot better. I agree. In that it is always a 3-1 as opposed to just when it's attacking. And I think the ability to trade cards in an aggressive format like this is way better than trading life. Four life is huge in something like this. So uh, I want to kind of talk about why this card is this all-star that I think it is. Why I think it worthy of the title of Draft Chef Hero. So let's say you have this in your opening hand. You play this on turn two. What does your opponent have? I don't know, like a 2-2, a 3-3? Pretty often, you'll be able to attack into anything whenever you play this. And uh, you can just, you know, discard a card. Let's think about its, its base level, its floor, so to speak. You can always attack this into a 2-2 or a 3-3, or uh, sometimes in this format, even like a 5-3 or 
if you're very lucky, 7-3. Cough, cough, Garrix, whatever that guy is. The Gorhorn, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then you have this threat of activation, is what I like to say. So at any given time, you can discard a card. Your opponent blocks with it. They end up losing their creature. Well, this guy stays around, and you just discarded the card. So is that good? Is that not? Let's, let's get into this. So another benefit this has going for it is the combat tricks. White is already, you know, overwhelmed with combat tricks, Feet of Resistance being the best one. And uh, when you attack with this, and you have that, even just the notion that you could cast that, your opponent has to consider that and think about, well, maybe they don't even want to trade that card, maybe they're going to buff it too. So at this point, you're th talking about attacking into four toughness creatures. Now, let's look at the blocking end. So, on its own, it's still a great blocker. You can hold back a 4-3. You can hold back a 5-3. You can hold back a 2-2. You can hold back sometimes even a 1-1 one, one if it's a good enough 1-1. One, one. You're offering to trade one of your cards in hand for whatever they have on their battlefield. So why is this good? I think that when you have this in play on turn 2, or even early, or even late, you're in a pretty strong aggressive position, and you can pretty easily beat down with this. So save the blocking with this for when you're starting to lose the, the aggro race. So... Uh, the activated ability on this, this uh, very aggressive format combined with this uh, plentiful number of low toughness creatures across the board from you is what makes this card a, a real star. So on its own, a 3-1 would trade with pretty much anything in the format, right? Yeah. So this, you know, it's usually not something your opponent would want to waste the kill spell on. This is usually the kind of creature, like there's other 3-1s in this format. They usually just trade. So I'm going to walk you through a few scenarios here with this kind of synergy overview before we get into some of the specifics. So let's say you attack with this. You attack with your Season Tallow Blade. And your opponent blocks with a 3-3 Truffle Snout. Right? You discard a land card or something like that to give it indestructible and tap it technically, but it's already tapped. So this is a one-for-one, one, right? You're trading your land, one card, for their Truffle Snout, one card. So, you know, one-for-one's they're kind of the, the bread and butter of limited. You're looking for a lot of one-for-ones here and there. Sometimes you'll take trades, sometimes not. But this provides incremental advantage that I think we need to look deeper into. Your yeah. opponent already committed some resources to this, right? Instead of just you know trading a card from your hand from a card from their hand, which you might not even always want to do, this is trading a creature for a land. And it's a creature that they already spent a whole turn and three mana into putting out on the battlefield. Very true. This and is also yeah. Go ahead. Early on in the form in the in the game, you know that that turn three is pretty huge given how aggressive this format is in general. And yeah, for sure. I think the mana efficiency is something that's way more valuable in limited than it is in constructed. So if you're coming from a constructed background and you're just getting into limited, and and for me it was even after having played the format for a while, it could be a huge level up for you personally to recognize. If I'm able to absolutely maximize my mana efficiency, using all my mana every turn, using my mana the best way that I can every turn, and my opponent's not doing that, I'm getting a huge leg up. So as you're saying, trading a land and no other mana mm -hmm. for a three mana play that took their entire turn is huge tempo swing, especially yeah, in an aggressive is, uh, format. I don't want to call it a time walk. But, oh my gosh. <laughs> but um, it's kind of the same thing with removal spells, right? So they could, you know, target this with Shock or Scorching Dragonfire or something like that. But um, then you have the same kind of exchange. You're trading, say, a land to blank their removal spell for one of the removal spells, which is one of the best cards in their deck in most cases. Right. So they also spent mana to tap it. They maybe warped their turn around it so that they could try to kill it. It ends up being the case where your opponent will almost never do this. Right. And they could double block or things of that nature, but at the end of the day, they can't kill your Hallowblade. So mm -hmm. it makes, it, not only does it make, uh, you know, there's there's the idiom of uh, math is for blockers, right? And, mm -hmm. you know, you just swing. In this case, it really is. Like, <laughs> if, if my opponent's swinging at me with a Hallowblade, 
what I don't it, you know like I don't know what I'm doing no, with it, that. It, it'll break your brain a little bit you have to think well I need to look at what's in my hand first of all do I have an answer for this which there are some second of all it, can I beat this and yeah. I think this is so much better than a Danto Vanguard because the Vanguard in this case instead of trading cards you're trading life which in this case kind of uh, negates the um their lack of creature now attacking on the backswing instead of having this truffle snot to attack back with if this were a vanguard you're kind of like sacking it to deal four to them which in some cases is good uh, right. you'll be at life totals with uh, in limited where you can no longer pay for life or where you're uh in danger of being attacked back for lethal if you activate this Right. And I think also one of the things, you know, this actually turns top decks or top deck lands later in the game into like actual viable cards. Yeah. Um, you are going to want to consider sandbagging lands a bit more frequently if you have this in, in play um, mm -hmm. and try to keep your decks curve low. But um, think about how like annoying um, the uh, selfless. Uh, wow. The name escapes me. The savior. The selfless. dog. Say, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Think about how annoying that is on the board if they have any other creature. <laughs> this is just this that is, all the time. This is that in one card all the time and can just be completely repeated, like, over and over again. Yeah, for sure. So one way that an opponent could try to use a removal spell with this card is they could, you know, if, if this thing was about to swing for lethal, they could target it with a removal spell before combat, and that does cause you to tap it. So at best, you know, they can discard a removal spell to save themselves from taking three damage that turn, discard a card, gain three life. I don't know. That's not a great exchange either. Yeah. It does die to things like, you know, minus effects, like the Massacre mm -hmm. Worm we talked about earlier. But those, are very, those aren't very common here. You have like Pestilent Haze and you have Massacre Worm, and I think those are the only two in the format. I might be missing something, but... Was a uh, grasp of darkness as well. Oh, but. true. Yeah, grasp is there as well, but grasp would grasp kills just about everything. Um, <laughs> I was gonna. Yeah, at this point, if you're trading grasp for this, you're already pretty happy. Like that this is, is a, a good two drop for a good two drop. That's that's yeah. the floor on this, right? And so I mean, you do you yeah. do have to consider the cost of discarding cards that you don't want to get rid of because there will be a situation where you know you want to attack with this or you want to bluff but a lot of times you will you'll bluff and they just won't take your like they'll just let you take the damage they'll take the damage because they don't like you still can just discard a card you might you might mm -hmm. discard something you'd prefer to have in your hand but in a lot of yeah. cases you'll have extra lands lying around and you'll just pitch them well, yeah, then even if this becomes a true attrition war, even if you're discarding something and they're blocking every single turn, then at the end of the day, what happens? You have a 3-1, and no one has any cards in hand, and you both have two lands in play? <laughs> like, right. I, I guess. So actually, in a way, this is kind of like Lily of the Veil. I'm not going to say oh it's Lily of the Veil. <laughs> how many hot takes are you going to have? How many comparisons to random mythics I'm not going to say this? that this is Dream Trawler stapled to a time walk, stapled to a Lily of the Veil, but oh <laughs> it's, it's not that far off. So... Sometimes these white decks are actually curving out at three or four lands anyway. Uh, and they often are packing two drops, right? Like red-white. Half the deck can be two drops, and you're, you're pretty happy with that. In that case, you're discarding your fourth land, or you're discarding sometimes even your third land. You just don't need it all the time. Uh, I've had a board state where I put a dub on one of these things, which we're going to talk about combos in a few seconds. But if you haven't dubbed one of these things, you haven't lived. What's your opponent going to do? Trump every turn for the rest of the game, it becomes the abyss. Like they they are losing a creature a turn to this, or they're just taking a million damage. Yeah, they basically have to hope that they can land something that's big enough to effectively block this, like you know something that's an X four or whatever, mm -hmm. uh, so that they can stop you from attacking with it. But at the end of the day, that X four can't attack either because you can just block it with the Hollow Blade because it's not attacking anymore. Exactly. This thing is a hidden mode where if somehow everything is looking like it's going to go wrong, you just don't attack. And then you have this indestructible 3-1 blocker that can trade with pretty much everything in the format. There's obviously things that get bigger, but if you get this down on turn two, it's a house to sit behind or a tank to ram through with. For sure. So I, I think this is... I, I would take this over, I think, every single common 
And I think every single uncommon too. I'm trying to think. There's maybe some red removal I take over it. I actually, and I we've talked about this uh, while we were getting show notes together and discussing the idea for this episode. But um, mm-hmm. I think it was Alex from Limited Level Ups at Corticals on on uh, Twitter. But he, yeah. he he had this post that got pretty popular for a, a couple days where he was comparing um, Baneslayer Angel to Seasoned Halloblade, and he was talking about how <laughs> Halloblade's actually, in some cases, a higher pick in his pick order than, than Baneslayer <laughs> Angel. Okay. Which is, All right. that's a hot take. But, I mean, you're over here comparing it to Lily Stapled to, stapled to Dream Trawler, stapled <laughs> to, you know, Time right, Walk, so, so... Okay, let's say you're in, like, a black-white deck, and you have like a bunch of three and four drops like Bazu's Acolytes and like that kind of thing and, and you have like Deathbloom Thalids and things like that and you have a few four drops and maybe even a five drop or two and you're, you're like really weak on two drops and pack three you open Baneslayer and Season Hollowblade I would pause for a good second yeah it's not an I auto pick it definitely <laughs> isn't an auto pick in that situation I would have to consider at that point you'd have to consider things you have to consider what your opponents uh, on either side of you are in uh, or if you have any data on them, what you've been getting past, have two drops been flowing, but you haven't been taking them because you've been taking better cards. That being said, I have never once passed a Baneslayer Angel. So yeah, and you've actually you know. drafted quite a few of them. But anyway, that's have, that's tangential. Uh, yeah. So all of this, Ben, all of these topics you've been mentioning so far, all of the things we've been talking about, it's great at attacking, it's great at blocking. You just sack, you just get rid of cards to it. How mm-hmm. how are you supposed to deal with this? We have a few ideas, a few few thoughts on how you can actually get rid of a season Hellblade because it's not, I mean, it's indestructible, but it's not unremovable from the game. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So I, I, I think I've made a pretty good case so far that this is an outstanding tempo aggressive card. Either your opponent buys into it and starts discarding cards to it, which I don't actually think is correct. I think in most cases you should... Well, let, let's talk about the, the how you actually deal with one of these across from you. So there are, I think, four different strategies, uh, and they're not all good. So let's start with the good ones. Uh, <laughs> killing it. If you can, get rid of this thing. Great. So I think the best way is actually Soul Seer, because that removes indestructible. Sure. You know, if they... Sometimes you might get an opponent that tries to discard a card to taps it, gives it indestructible, and then Soul Seer takes them both out anyway. Free two for one. Uh, you can grasp darkness it, you can secure the scene, capture sphere and faith's fetters work too. Uh, notably though, if your opponent is in white and they have this, they might also have a feat of resistance, which can shrug off auras uh, like capture sphere and that kind of thing because it gives a protection, which means it can't be enchanted by. That being said, if your opponent spends some kind of unconditional removal on your two drop, you're pretty happy with that exchange. Yeah, this is a tough kind of scenario because, like you said, I mean, I guess best case if you are facing a Hallowblade is you have Grasp of Darkness in hand. You only spent two mana and an uncommon to deal with their or is Grasp common in the set? I can't even. Remember. Yeah, it's common. It's common in the set. Yeah, so yeah. you you deal you spend two mana and a common to deal with their two mana uncommon you kind of feel like you're getting ahead but grasp is one of if yeah it's one of the best removal spells in the format so mm-hmm. it also does kind of feel bad um i mean like we talked about earlier it's not the end of the world but and some of the other yeah. spells like secure the scene might not have better applications that's probably one of the better applications for secure the scene but either way you're you're using some of the best cards in your deck which you don't have very many of usually everybody's lacking in removal in most situations, yeah. I would say, um, when you like to deal with a creature that isn't exceptionally great on its face, like obviously we're telling you it's a great card, um, but it still feels bad to be spending removal on a, on a three one. Yeah, if your opponent has a secure the scene, you've probably gone like one drop, two drop, three drop, four drop, or something like that, and your opponent secures the scene, your two drop. You're still attacking for a million, right? Yeah, yeah, that's true. And like you said, if if I happen, if you know, if I'm I have the Hallow Blade and you're secure the scening or or anything of that nature, and I just happen to have a feed of resistance, it's just like, eh. uh, yeah. Now, um, another way uh, that's also a pretty effective way to deal with this is to race it. So this can be raced. You can outpace a three one for two. That's not that hard to do, especially given all the incidental life gain in this format, a lot of which is in white. But black has some too. 
So sometimes if you're and your opponent are just attacking every turn, you can get in with some lifelinkers. You can play some stuff like the Gaggle Master or uh, Blood Glutton, something to gain a little bit of light back here and there. And you can just outrace this card. Yeah, that's true. It's pretty easy to go wide in this format, and if your opponent's entire game plan is to um, just land one Hallow Blade and hope that it sticks, you can get around them pretty pretty easily. But speaking of mm-hmm. going wide, um, that's another way you can deal with this is to literally just not care about it and go wide. Yeah, yeah, uh, going wide or going tall. Uh, red, white, and green, white. They can just go way bigger than the, or way wider than this, I guess. Play a bunch of like two mana two twos and just attack right around it. And uh, green, blue, and sometimes even the red decks can get bigger. And you know, if you just slam a five five, like sometimes they won't have the trick. You right. can be, uh, you you don't want to block this card that often. If a hollow blade's coming at you and you have like a five five, uh. Think about very carefully what they've shown you so far and weigh the risks. But if you're at a good life total, just take it and swing back. At that point, you can start winning that race. But something like a, a Megalodon, like a 5-7 Hexproof, I'm just going to block, you know? Yeah, I mean, there also is the case, like, if they're swinging with their Hallow Blade, they might just be bluffing to hope that you let them let the damage through. There's the chance that they don't have anything right and your 5-5 five five just eats a card in their hand. Yeah, what do they have, like, Sure great. Strike, Sure Strike? Right, it's... it. There aren't very many single cards that that will get you through an X five, mm-hmm. um, so you know keep that in mind too. If you have a big creature on board and your opponent has a Halloween. yeah. So now the worst way to deal with it is the uh, what I like to call the attrition challenge. So uh, when this comes down turn two and is pretty unstoppable, and uh, you're like, oh well, Ben said take the attrition challenge. I'm going to block and start discarding all my cards. It's not what I mean. Uh, instead, I mean, if this comes down later in the game, like turn five or six or seven, the cards that your opponent has in your hand, they're no longer, you know, useless to them. Sometimes they'll be their five drop that's stuck because they are at four lands or something. Um, or I don't know, they, they might have something like a, a top deck removal spell that you're probably pretty happy trading for this anyway. If your opponent is at low cards in hand, eh, or it, I guess if uh, if your opponent's at low cards in hand, you can consider blocking this or attacking into it. Um, just to get like that last card out of their hand. If it's a thing that might be worth trading, for example, if you're attacking with a 2-2 and they have just this, and they have one card in hand, mm, is that one card in their hand super likely to be better than a 2-drop if they pass with 4 mana open? I don't know. I think there are some cases where if you if you read the board and read your opponent's hand and, and their play style, uh, like for example, what they've been like bluffing or leaving up, I think there are some cases where it's correct to actually trade the card for the uh your, your onboard presence yeah that was I, I that's kind of the next thing i wanted to mention too was know when to let the hallow blade go uh it's not mm-hmm. always correct yeah, to just true. get rid of cards to it sometimes getting their best removal spell or their weird conditional spell that you have no other way to deal with out of their hand and into their graveyard is just bit worth more than the card in your hand yeah and that that goes for us too when we're, when we're attacking with hallow blades like, I'm not discarding, like, sometimes I'm not going to discard my 5-drop to it if they have a pretty big board. Uh, also, no one to stop attacking with this card, too. Kind of goes hand-in-hand with the uh, when to trade with it and when to not. Yeah, also, there is one other way to deal with this that we haven't mentioned. Uh, yeah. And it's my personal favorite way to deal with this card. And it, I don't know if this will always be the case when we see how Season Hallowblade return, if we ever see how Season Hallowblade return. But mm-hmm. you can always just mill your opponent out. <laughs> just drop a wall of runes, drop a Teferi's tutelage, and mill your opponent oh, out. Oh man, I uh, yeah, I I guess here in the show notes, let me just add a uh, mill. <laughs> oh, actually, you know, I guess we didn't mention, but um, there is control magic in this format too. Oh yeah, you could just steal control theirs. Magic. That's great too. Yeah. Just steal just, theirs. Uh, That's also on brand for you. Yeah. Right. Uh, just play around the uh, feet of resistance if you're going to do that. Yeah, that, that's true. So, anyway, that's how we can deal with it. The next section I've got here is combos with it. So I went through this entire set. I looked for every single thing, minus you know the big flashy mythics and, and rares that work well with them, everything, uh, that particularly go well with the Hollow Blade. So if you are lucky enough to pack one, pick one, one of these things, you know what to look out for. So... A kind of breakdown of the combos. 
you want to look for ways to pump this. Attacking with a 3-1 is great, but if it's a 5-5 or a 4-4 or a 6-6, uh, it's even better. Because as we've you know, kind of made a pretty good case for it, this is very hard to stop. So look for ways that can get it through larger creatures, and uh, especially permanent ways. Counters, auras, uh, equipment, you know, these are all going to be better than pump spells like Titanic Growth. Yeah, especially on a card that, I mean, usually the biggest downfall to an aura in Limited is, well, if they just kill my creature, they two-for-one me. Mm -hmm. In this case, they still one-for-one you because you're discarding a card, but you're not getting rid of the creature if you point a shock at it. So, yeah. You know, they they lose auras lose their drawback in that way. Yeah, you're kind of safe from getting blown out with this, which I really like. Uh, for you know, I, I guess I can point out I'm a Bruna EDH player, so suiting up creatures with auras and smacking with them is a hidden love of mine. Even if I know it's usually not that great and limited, I've had to kind of reprogram my brain for this set though, where it's turned out that Dub is actually just sometimes playable on its own. Weirdly enough. Um, equipment, short sword and malefic scythe are, are great here, and one one counters are a really good thing you want to put on this. So, uh, in white, which you're naturally going to be playing if you're if you're jamming one or two uh, seasoned hollow blades, the best things you want to combine with this are uh, feet of resistance, Bazar's acolyte, Bazar's solidarity, tempered veteran to put more counters on it, uh, dub, and you know I guess like Bazarket himself if you can <laughs> if you can swing that. Some uh, less popular ones would be Daybreak Charger, Defiant Strike, and Warded Battlements. I think Feet of Resistance is the standout here. If you can get a Feet of Resistance in hand while you have one of these in the field, you feel like you can't lose. Yeah, definitely. Uh, And, uh, you know, um, any of the other buff spells in in white are going to do just fine as well. You mentioned Defiant Strike. just, just get this thing as big as you can, basically. Um, <laughs> yeah. Next up, we have blue. Unfortunately, while blue's good at evasion and like tapping things and getting rid of your opponent's spells, it's not too great at, at buffing your creatures. Um, mm-hmm. The best option we have for this here is Rousing Reed. Um, <laughs> Which uh, kind of defeats the point, right? The, the whole idea of this is that you want to be attacking, threatening to trade with your opponent's creatures. If it just flies over them, it's a fine clock, but you know it's no better than any other three one. Then just slap your rousing read on I don't know your daybreak charger instead. Yeah. Also, um, sort of a non bow. If you're hoping to, you know, you're playing against the blue player and you're hoping to use something like feet of resistance to drop a capture sphere off. If you have a rousing read on, you're just losing that too. Not like that's going to come up very often, but you know. Hmm. So black is also not great. Uh, it has a few options, though. Malefic Scythe uh, is obviously great. Uh, if you can start trading off other creatures with this, too, this thing will just keep getting bigger and bigger. Liliana's Devotee is kind of a, a sneaky combo, where if you're attacking and they are blocking a lot, you can start just pumping out zombies nonstop. Not actually pumping the uh, the Hallow Blade itself, but just a good synergy card to keep in mind. And some, you know, other options. Uh, Demonic Embrace which I guess if you have a demonic embrace, you're, you're kind of doing it either way. This is the same drawback as Rousing Reed, though. And Infernal Scarring, it usually doesn't actually die. So what's the point of the draw card on Infernal Scarring? I don't know. Black, it doesn't go great with this. Yeah, when you're looking at the, the colors, of, like, you know, you did a breakdown of every synergistic card in the in the format, and, like, Infernal, Infernal scar, Scarring... Jeez, I can't talk today. Infernal <laughs> Scarring is in your, like next to best category it's like eh. look i just went down every aura in the set too oh actually that reminds me in white i forgot to mention light of promise (laughs) which i don't think is playable unless you have like four truffle snouts or something stupid like that where you can curve it straight into it and put like five counters on this thing don't try that but if you can pull it off send me a screenshot i kind of want to see it (laughs) okay uh so next up is red this is what we have as leading, you know, like leading the pack behind white is like second best. Um, you have cards like Battle Rattle Shaman and Fear of the Bitten, which are just, you know, making your Hallowblade as big as can be. Um, you also have cards like Bolt Hound, Burn Bright, Unleash Fury, and Sure Strike, just your average run of the mill combat tricks. And uh, Bolt Hound's just fantastic anyway. If you can get any other creatures on the field, do you want to be playing Bolt Hound? 
Mm-hmm. Actually, I have green as the uh, the top home for this in green white. Um, okay. Combos of this involve well, I put Garrick in here because you know I, I love Garrick. I just couldn't sit him on the sidelines. But Invigorating Surge, Hunter's Edge, Pride Malkin, Satessin Training, Truffle Snout, Conclave Mentor, all ways of putting one one counters on this or buffing its pu- power in some way. And in any of these cases, you're pretty safe from getting blown out because what are they going to do? Like kill it out from under the counter? You can just tap it, give it indestructible. You're okay with having an occasional one for one on this. And uh, a fine way is Titanic Growth. You're pretty able, you're pretty safe when you swing in with a Titanic Growth in hand in this guy on the field. Yeah, true. Pride Malkin also gives them Trample, so that makes their ability to, uh, you know, chump block even worse, which, you know, it's not, it's already not great, but um, I agree. Mm-hmm. I think, I think green is the best home uh, for this guy, yeah. apart from white. So I'd like to give a, uh, a consumer report, a uh, a, a, a Yelp review of Season Talonblade, if you will. All right, let me have I, it. I was playing this in black-white, uh, which, like we said, is not a great home. I didn't have many ways to buff it, but I had a few dif- uh, feats of resistance. So it, it ended up doing some good work, and I had a dub. I will say that I played this on turn two. I played dub on turn three, and my green-red opponent had no idea what to do. <laughs> they, uh, some turns they would block and trade with cart. Some turns they would just let it through. I will say I never actually played my fourth land despite having a Basri's Acolyte in hand. I just never needed to. My opponent was playing cards out. They decided to trade. I would just discard a card. And eventually the board came down to they had like five lands in the field and no cards in hand. And like Maybe I think they had a, a four four or something, and I had this five three first striking indestructible behemoth with like four cards still in hand and maybe three lands in the field. Wow! They just couldn't stop it. I beat them down, and I will say being on the play definitely helped. But uh, I think it was a testament to that card's power. I, I I like to stick with what uh what Marshall Sutcliffe of LR fame likes to say: when you feel like you're getting away with something, you want to note that. And, yeah, it's true. Uh, take those cards very highly. <laughs> when you have a season's tablet out, it feels a lot like I don't know, having a time walk stapled to a lily, stapled to a dream trawler, stapled oh to gosh. a bane slayer angel, maybe. <laughs> oh my goodness, it feels like something approaching that at least. Mm-hmm. Um, also, I think you know you kind of just hinted at something that we didn't really cover too well um, so far. Know what you are going to do against the season Hallowblade. If you see your opponent play a planes, you should be thinking, what do I do if they drop a Hallowblade? Because as Ben was mentioning, that opponent he was playing against was kind of wishy-washy. It blocked sometimes, mm-hmm. let the damage in sometimes, and sometimes that's correct. But you need to know what you're doing because if you have this wishy-washy sort of uh, attitude towards it, you're going to just lose that game in most cases. Yeah, it's best to stick with the plan. If their plan was to try to just resource Wormy one for one all the way down and then somehow drop a threat, that could have worked, but uh, I think they might not have been playing to their outs. But anyway, uh, an overall review of this card. I'm going to say our first draft draft hero here is a solid 5 out of 5. I would take this in any white deck, and I would take it over, I want to say like, I didn't look at an exact pick order for this, but I would probably take it over everything but like five or ten cards. Most of the, the mythics, I think, do edge it out. Stuff like the Gargaroth and eh, pack one, pick one. I'd still take Baneslayer. Um, Masker Worm, as, as we know. Yeah. But honestly, I take this over to Fairy. Oh, yeah. Honestly, I, maybe, I, it shouldn't be a hot take, but uh, Teferi's not good. Don't play him in limited. <laughs> I did get tempoed out by him one time, but uh, wow, really? It, it felt pretty bad. Yeah, I mean, I guess it happens. Hurts. Exceptions happen, but I have I have to ferry like a C, C plus, maybe. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah, I don't think he's great. But anyway, I, I think uh, and there's a handful of other you know random cards that you might take over this, but I think it's one of the best cards in the set for sure. The fact that this is an uncommon, something that you might consider chaff, that has now risen to the ranks. I'm, I'm proud of this guy. You know, yeah. charging the head with that spear. <laughs> Yeah, he, he is. He's doing. He is our first draft chef here. Rapier? I don't even know. <laughs> he's our first. Anyway. Yeah. 
So I, overall, uh, take this highly. There are a million natural synergies with it. If you just play this and uh, play in like a normal red-white deck, even without listening to this podcast, you'll have a great time with it. This is just some ways that you can optimize it in your deck. I think this will overperform, and it's uh, my pick for the Mythic Uncommon of the set. And it's not like, it's not Zenith Flare or anything like that. It's not stupidly broken. But I do think it is worth taking highly. Have some fun with this guy. I agree. You just can't really go wrong. It's even splashable. You know, its effect doesn't really require a build around. Um, yeah, take them, play them, love them. <laughs> Have fun. Send us your, uh, your seasoned hollow blade plays. Like, comment, and subscribe if you oh would have played Season Dollar Blade. I hate you. What are we doing yeah. this for? What have I gotten myself for the, for into? the people. Well, I think that about wraps up our thoughts on the Season Hollow Blade. Um, as always, you can find or contact the podcast directly at draftchaffpod at gmail.com or at draftchaffpod on Twitter. You can find me at Alfredian on Twitter. Uh, ben, do you want to let them know where they can find you? You can find me at Betafish1. And um, once again, if you're feeling so inclined, check out the Patreon page, patreon.com slash draftchaffpod. That's it for us. We'll see you next week. See you later. Wait, so, wait, 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 wait. Before we go, did you stop? No. Are we still going? Are we still, go- are we still recording? We're recording. Okay, good, good. Because I have a I have a challenge for you. I didn't tell you about this beforehand. No, nope, this, this is you. complete news to me. What's up? Okay, so did I tell you about a new commander deck that I'm building? You're I know we, we're bran- we're branching into I guess a casual chaff. This is very casual chaff. It's it's the sign off whatever. Uh, I am building a new commander deck. Okay. I have some of the pieces. And I would like to read them out to you, and I'd like you to guess what I'm doing. And I will say it's going to get considerably easier the deeper I go. I've arranged the cards in such a way. Okay. But um, I want you to try to figure out what I'm trying to do with this deck. What you're trying to do, or your commander, or just just what it is in general. Yeah. Okay. What, what I'm what I'm doing. So let's start with a metallic mimic. What does that tell you about my plan? It could be literally anything. <laughs> but, but what does metallic mimic do? I, it, it's creature based you're gonna have something to do with creatures yeah of course it's some kind of you know tribe involved i've got some of their tribal cards heirloom blade Ooh, uh, i actually I've don't got... know what that card is oh that's um whenever the equipped creature dies you reveal from the top of your library until you get a creature that shares the type with it and that goes into your hand okay it's a it's a, a cute uh equipment i've got unclaimed territory uh okay. i've got you know just some some oh i got kindred boon from the kindred cycle uh <laughs> chromatic lantern we're trying to do a few colors here okay, what do you think so, you got any ideas n- no you haven't given me any actual like all it is is it's a tribal thing i don't know okay psychotic okay now we're talking my language to fairies protection okay Zendikar Resurgent. Ooh, Crucifix God of Horizons. Oh gosh, it's a Simic deck? At least? Not, uh, it's probably well, Bant, knowing you. Um, Mountain. Oh, okay, so it's not Bant. Forest. Plains. Oh gosh, is it five color? Island. <laughs> it's five color, okay. E-Wilds, yeah, I got, I got, uh... Let's see, Vivian Reed, Eternal Witness, Clothis, God of Destiny. Um, so um, I, I think I've established, what, what are you thinking so far? Honestly, my head's swimming. I have, on, I, I don't know. Uh, man, you're putting me on the spot here. Well, okay, what, 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 what information do you have so far, Sherlock? Okay, all right. Uh, well, it's obviously tribal. Uh-huh. Ignore that. I don't know if you could hear that, but that was my phone calling. Uh, it's obviously tribal. Um, five color means you're branching out quite a bit. Mm-hmm. You've got the gods, or a few of them anyway. Yeah. They're not related, though. They're just there. I've actually I've got a bunch of staples. I'm playing Demonic Tutor, Bloom Tender. This is, this is a, a real commander deck. Okay. Um, Can I read you some of the it, creatures? Is it, is it Dryad? themed 
Let me let me read you some of the creatures. Okay. Star crowned stag. Oh gosh, this isn't Ogre deck, is it? Gr- no, great sable stag. Auspicious Starix. Oh no. Splendor mare. Horse dot deck. Is is this what you're doing? Horse dot deck. I'm gonna give it to you. This is elk dot deck. Oh my, my commander is Jagantha the Wellspring. <laughs> I gotta give it to you. That's that's clever. I like it. How are you not playing Oko on that deck though? I actually am. I just didn't pick oh, up. Okay. A <laughs> I was like, there's. You said no Oko, so I was like, okay, it's not an elk deck, but okay. Oh no, no, it is. It is actually. Um, I'm playing Kenneth's Transformation as well for the maximum elk flavor. I don't. But, I, don't uh, I don't see how the uh, like Teferi's protection and stuff fits the elk theme, but. Oh, I guess it I'm, just turns. Well, uh, maybe my memory's wrong, but doesn't protection phase stuff? Yeah, that phases the uh, the whole board out. Yeah. So my, <laughs> the joke of this deck, I guess, I, it's a statement on commander as a whole. It's the idea that if you play, you know, y- your classics like uh, tutors and planeswalkers and mythics and uh, stuff like explosive edge, bloom tender, you know, all, all the good stuff. Cyclonic Rift. It doesn't really matter what else you play. For example, uh, you could say, I don't know, jam a deck full of the worst creatures in Magic, like Glimmerpoint Stag and <laughs> Dawn Treader Elk. Maybe something like uh, Somberwald Stag or uh, Burnished Heart. Well, that's actually pretty good playable, but Sacred White Deer. So, some of the most absolute trash cards you can get. And uh, I actually, I did play this one online. I played it in a pot of eight, and I won. Pot of eight? <laughs> this, this deck took down an eight-player commander. I will send you a list, and I'm happy to share it on Twitter, too. Somehow, to be honest, that doesn't really surprise me, because I would expect everybody to be like, hey, he's playing Elks, and then just ignore <laughs> you until you win. Yeah, that's kind of exactly what happened. See, I show up to a table with Krufix as my commander or Krenko as my commander, and then everybody's like, he needs to die immediately. See, so, I go for the exact opposite effect. They see me play like a bellowing elk. These are these are like not even playable in draft. Bellowing elk was, but I'm playing like Highland Game. <laughs> uh, are you familiar with Gang of Elk from M7? Oh, geez. Uh, at some point I probably was, but I can't tell you what it does off the top of my head. It, uh, whenever it becomes blocked, it gets 2-2 two, two for each creature blocking it. It's a 6-mana 5-4. Jeez. <laughs> These aren't good cards, but the point is, when supported by good stuff, you can do anything. Well, there you anyway. have a life lesson by Ben. 